0: Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Trust you're having a good week. Uh, Let's uh, turn to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Tonight we will look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And uh, let me uh, lead us in prayer, and we'll get into our study this evening here. Lord, we do thank you for the uh, privilege to uh, come together and to uh, study the Word, to pray together. Uh, thank you for the freedom that we yet enjoy in this regard. So, Lord, bless our time in the Word this evening. And again, we thank you for your goodness to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, um, note uh, on the outline as we have worked our way through, uh, we have worked our way down here. The theme is uh, the, the, the day of the Lord, really related to uh, God's judgment. And we worked our way down now to chapter 3. Commandments regarding those who are disorderly and lazy. We'll get to that. First of all, there's prayer emphasis, which is where we are tonight. But in terms of uh, the Thessalonians, they were saved. And we read in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 10, uh, they were saved to wait for his son from heaven. And so they were, right from the very get-go, they were looking for Jesus to come uh, back and, and get them. And he goes on to say there, uh, "...who delivers us from the wrath to come?" So I think they were waiting. Okay, wrath is going to come on the earth, and the Lord's going to deliver us from that. We're expecting the Lord to come and deliver us from this wrath that is to come. Well, uh, some severe persecution had set in, coupled with some false teachers who came on the scene, who said, guess what, guys? you're in the day of the Lord. (laughs) And that kind of had them all shook up, all unstable. And so Paul writes to uh, correct this situation. He uh, writes to affirm that they're not in the day of the Lord. There's a couple of things that have to be in place. Uh, Number one, uh, in terms of the day of the Lord coming, the man of sin has to be revealed. That hasn't happened. Uh, Number two, in order for the man of sin to be revealed, the restrainer has to be removed. Uh, which is, I take it, the Holy Spirit working through the church uh, in a restraining mode during the current church age. So, um, we're still here, the church is still here, the restrainer is still in place through the church, that hasn't happened yet. So, we're not in the day of the Lord. And so, he affirms them that you're not in the day of the Lord, and then he affirms their calling and exhorts them to be steadfast. And finally, as we come to the end of chapter 2, he prays for them, as we saw in verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So he ends up with this prayer for them that they would be stabilized, in effect, and be encouraged and strengthened in their faith. Well, that leads us uh, to where we are tonight, and he asked prayer for himself. Not only is he praying for them, but he says, I want you to pray for me, for us, as, as a team here. And uh, let's have somebody read verses 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Jeff? Okay, thank you. So, uh, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Um, Finally, you know, when the preacher says finally, you know there's more to come, right? (laughs) He's got one more chapter here, right? But he has covered the main thing, I think, that he wants to cover in the letter. He's got a few other things here uh, in terms of maintenance that he's going to deal with. But uh, note, uh, let's see, uh, Paul's pattern is to lay down sound doctrine and then uh, build on that, build practical emphasis on that foundation. That is his pattern. Here again, we see that pattern. Chapter 2, he presents mostly doctrinal information related to the day of the Lord. And now in chapter 3, he will make practical application on how uh, they should then live. So there's going to be some real uh, emphasis here at the end of the chapter. If any would not work, neither Uh, should he eat. Uh, We don't want you being lazy here. You're all sitting around waiting for the Lord to come. It's, it's not time to, you're supposed to work while waiting uh, and not be late. So he's going to get there as, as we go on. But first, uh, this emphasis on, on prayer. And so he says, uh, brethren, uh, pray for us. Uh, you know, the, only the brethren can pray, you know. Unbelievers, you don't send out to your unbelieving family and say, would you please pray for this? Uh, I hope you don't do that because they don't have a prayer, Right. Uh, only believers really have access to God. Uh, no one comes to the Father except how do we get there? Well, through Jesus, right? We have a high priest, uh, we have the mediator, we have the connection. that's why we pray in Jesus name. Uh, not that it's some little magic uh, you know formula, but uh, we are constantly reminding ourselves that our access to God is through Jesus Christ. And uh, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have access. You, you don't have a prayer. Uh, So he appeals to the brethren uh, for prayer. And, uh, you know, God works through prayer. We believe this, right? I mean, we call this a prayer meeting, right? We do Bible study too. But uh, uh, why does God work through prayer, do you suppose? I mean, does he need it? No, he doesn't need it. Does God need anything? Need? No, God doesn't need anything. He's totally self-contained within himself, for all eternity, doing just quite well. Uh, why uh, does he work through prayer? It, shows, yeah. it, shows it certainly, on, on, it shows on our part dependence, right. Yes, uh, Albert. It, it does help build our faith. So, so you're thinking that God does it pretty much for our sake? No, he does it for his sake. <laughs> okay. So does he need it? No, he doesn't need it, but he's doing it. He does bring glory to himself in prayer, right? And, you know, God is a relational God. I think you have that even in the concept of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's been a He's a relational God forever and ever. And he created us in his image uh, to have relationship with him. And one of the ways that relationship works out, God could do what he's doing in terms of his program without us just fine. No doubt about it. But he has chosen to use people in the process of fulfilling his plan, uh, his redemptive plan. And part of that is this issue of prayer. He works through prayer. You have not because you ask God. Well, I guess God wants us to pray. You, you want to be used of the Lord and have something happen? Uh, you have not because you ask not. You, you need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. Uh, prayer moves the hand of God. Uh, When it lines up with his will, you know, and sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. You know, we we realize that. But uh, he works through prayer. And uh, we need prayer. Uh, We all need prayer. Uh, We are in a spiritual warfare. And I have no doubt, apart from God's intervention and his mercy and his grace, we would be crushed. Uh, I have no doubt about that. Uh, I sense the prayers of God's people just continually. Uh, Praise the Lord for for prayer. We all need prayer. Uh, And with that, let me put this up here. We all need prayer. Yes, we do. Uh, Paul needed prayer and he requested it for him and his team. By the way, there's a team involved here, right? Uh, Pray for us. Uh, Paul didn't just say pray for me. It's all about me. (laughs) Pray for us. Uh, We as a team need prayer. And indeed uh, they did. Uh, all believers have the privilege of prayer, as we've talked about, even though these were relatively young believers. They still had the equal privilege of prayer, right? You don't say, well, you know, you're still young. I don't think your prayers are very effective. You know, let's, let's have the older, more mature, strong prayers. Uh, let's get them, but yours don't really count too much. No, no, no. Uh, we all equally have access in prayer. In theology, we talk about the priesthood of all believers, uh, which involves the reality that all believers equally have access to God and, and the privilege of prayer. So, uh, yeah, he doesn't uh, categorize anybody here. He's asking all of the brethren to pray here. We, we all have that tremendous privilege to pray. People often say, what can I do? Well, let's talk about first things first. You can pray. You say, well, I really want to do something more. Uh, okay, let's start with prayer. <laughs> uh, prayers, and, and you know, really, if you don't pray, you can't do anything else. I think everything flows out of prayer. It's it's the most important thing. It's the foundational thing. And so he says, "Pray for us." And what's he praying for? That the word of the Lord may run swiftly, and be glorified, just as just as it is with you. The word of the Lord is a, a way of saying the gospel here, and it's uh, the word of the Lord. Um, You know, what kind of a word is the word of the Lord? Well, it's, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think Lord here does refer to to Jesus. Uh, Paul, as he uses Lord, usually has Jesus in in view here. Um, So, yeah, this is the word of Jesus, uh, the word of the Lord. But the word Lord is a powerful word in and of itself. It literally means master. And when used of Jesus, it's really the idea of sovereign authority. It's master authority. Uh, The word of authority. Uh, The word of the master. Uh, It's a powerful message. And indeed it is. Uh, That the word of the Lord. uh, The Lord is the source of this word. The Lord is the subject of this word. And... uh, again, emphasizes his sovereign authority. I always like this in the book of Acts where they shared with the uh, uh, Philippian jailer. The Lord has a nuance of emphasizing his authority, meaning master or one with sovereign authority. For example, when the Philippian jailer was shaken uh, to his foundations by a great earthquake, Paul and Silas told him to believe on the Lord Jesus and he would be saved. Then it goes on to say, uh, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. This was the authoritative word of the Lord. It was about the Lord and carried his authority as it was exhibited in the earthquake. So I like that emphasis, the word of the Lord, in the, in the context here of what's going on with the, this great earthquake that shook everything to its foundations. The doors were wide open. I mean, you guys ready to commit suicide as a Roman jailer? Might as well because you're, you, it's over. <laughs> if you let all your prisoners out, you're going to die. And Paul says, we're all here. Just Relax. Wow. Well, that night, uh, you know, he and his family became believers. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Got one more slide here. The word of the Lord is the gospel message of who Christ is as Lord and Savior. As Savior, he died for all of our sins. As Lord God Almighty, he arose from the dead. Saving faith believes in him as Savior and as living Lord. And this message is the reality of his authority that all believers personally acknowledge. Okay, that's the word of the Lord, and we have accepted it as that. It, that's what it is to us. And he's praying, asking prayer, uh, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. You know, Paul is fond of athletic metaphors. And the idea here of running swiftly is uh, to advance rapidly, like, like a, a swift runner uh, would advance. And so that's the idea. Uh, God opens the doors and he's asking prayer that this would happen to where the word of God would continue to move forward here. And, uh, perhaps he gets this from the, the Psalms, uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, specifically Paul's prayer request is that the word may run swiftly. The language may come out of Psalm 147, harkens back to that, uh, where it says he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly, uh, Perhaps he's got that in mind. We don't really know for sure. Um, Paul emphasized social responsibilities, uh, primarily in the context of the body of believers, you know, as far as taking care of the widows and so forth. But regarding those outside, the emphasis was strongly on the gospel itself. Galatians 6.10, Paul instructs uh, to do good to all as we have opportunity, but then says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The model of Paul's evangelistic ministry uh, put the emphasis on the word of the Lord. Uh, certainly, we should be good Samaritans. But at the same time, we must never lose sight of the ultimate priority, which is getting the gospel itself out. You know, when Paul came into town, you don't really see an emphasis in his evangelistic ministry on social ministry. It was on gospel ministry. And I always think about Dwayne Holmes. He said, you know, a lot of these uh, missionaries would come into the uh, jungle Offer the people free stuff. People showed up like crazy. You want, you, you want to accept the Lord? Raise your hand. I mean, they're doing whatever they ask him to do. Dwayne said, we, we don't do that because they were asking him, where's all the free stuff? <laughs> he would say, oh, I don't do that. I'm here to share the word of the Lord. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, all these people are going over here to get the free stuff. It's a problem. Uh, I don't see Paul doing that. wasn't the gimmicks here. Showed up, give the word of the Lord. And so he is uh, praying that it would run swiftly. And that really would kind of indicate an urgency, too. We see an urgency in Paul's writings to get the word out. Now is the time. There's an urgency. You know, and people are dying right and left, right? They are. And we never know how, people, how long people are going to have, how many opportunities. So we want to take advantage of every opportunity we have. There is an urgency to get it out there. And uh, this is always people's greatest need, right? They need the Lord. Uh, they need the gospel. This is their greatest need. And uh, we want the main thing to always remain the main thing. And the main thing is always the gospel. It, it, it never changes. So he's asking prayer uh, that this will happen, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, he says, just as it is with you. To be glorified is to be exalted, uh, to be honored, uh, to be highly esteemed. Uh, we see this in uh, when the Gentiles were receptive to the gospel in Acts 13. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. So these were responding in faith. And uh, but my point here is that they glorified the word of the Lord. Uh, the word glorified, the word is glorified when it is received with honor. The message is exalted, greatly valued. And so that's his... Uh, this would be the response. He's praying that the word would go forth swiftly and there would be this kind of response. He says, just as it is with you. And how did they respond? Well, we note back in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So there's a a certain response related to a saving faith response where you welcome the word. You're excited about the message. And uh, here Paul uses the description, uh, it is glorified. It's honored. It's highly esteemed. Okay. Um, All right, I'm going to go on to verse 2, but any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 2? Anything else? All right. That means we covered it sufficiently. Verse 2. His prayer request continues uh, that the word would go forth uh, quickly and be glorified, but also that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Uh, You know, uh, we as God's agents are gospel agents, and we're seeking to take the word forth. Guess what? Guess what? There's other agents out here, they're the devil's agents. And guess what they're wanting to do? They want to stop us. And guess what? They're unreasonable people. You say, well, let's reason together. No, no, they're unreasonable. You can't reason with unreasonable people. You, you, you know that, right? You, have you tried to do that? It's very difficult. And uh, so, uh, again, we need prayer uh, for God to deal with these people. Uh, so that we will have uh, opportunities. And uh, we should expect opposition. I was talking to a pastor today. Really rough patch in his church. In fact, uh, they, uh, you know, there's, there's a power play in, in the church. And the hostile ones, who I'm quite sure is, he describes to me, are, these people don't know the Lord at all. But, uh, and then he's got you know, half the church with him that are believers. But they don't want to fight. It's a little church. And, and, but he said that they called him and said, you know what, don't come back to the church because they're calling the law on you. If you try to come back, you know, they're going to try to arrest you somehow. And they you know, have taken away the key to the mailbox, the person who's in control of the mailbox. Some of these people, he said, haven't been in church for 10 years and now they've they still got their names on official papers, and you know they got control of the bank and 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 so now they're all the scene again after ten years. just he said this is the wickedest thing he's ever seen in his life. Uh, you know this is true uh, the devil he's got his people, and uh, we need to pray for deliverance from these people uh, that's what Paul is asking prayer for uh, that uh, We would be delivered, that we may be delivered from them. God specializes in deliverance from wicked people. And how does he do it? He works through prayer. Um, I am sure the devil's got people out here just doing whatever they can to try to bring us down. Just try to stop the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, we need to pray that God will intervene and deal with these people. That we might be delivered from their snares, from them trying to stop uh, the progress of the gospel. You say, well, I don't think that'll happen in our fair city. Oh, no, I'm sure. That'll never happen here. Uh, We need prayer. Praise the Lord for powerful prayer worries. I really think we have some really powerful prayer worries in in our fellowship here. And God works through prayer. Uh, That we may be delivered. From unreasonable. Uh, unre- the word unreasonable is an interesting word. It literally means uh, out of place. So the idea is out of joint or, or out of sorts. Uh, you know, perverse is the idea of twisted, and that's the idea here. They're, they're unreasonable. Uh, there, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no reasoning with them concerning the truth, concerning the, the word of the Lord. They have no regard for it. And by the way, people, who, until they're repentant, are, are in that position. You know, they're unreasonable. Uh, repentance is what? What does the word repentance mean? To have a change of mind. And you know what? In that change of mind, now you have a, a whole change of mind and attitude towards God and His Word. Now all of a sudden, you go from being hostile to it, fighting against it, unreasonable, to now saying, oh, I'm wrong, God's right, and you align yourself with the truth of the Word of God. That's repentance. Uh he says, pray for deliverance uh, from these unreasonable people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Amen. That is a great insight. Amen. Absolutely. Very true. All the way through there, just like you're saying. Tremendous emphasis on the thinking. Yeah. Amen. Uh, unreasonable and wicked men. Uh, wicked is the idea of uh, acting out evil, in an evil way, in a, in a hateful way, in a way that's full of malice. Uh, that idea. Uh, their uh, conduct relates to being unreasonable. Their character relates to their their wickedness, their hatefulness. And again, you know the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. What about this? I think the emphasis when it says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood is this. Uh, There's a greater uh, force behind these people. Uh, That's who our real battle is with, the devil. But he uses people. Make no mistake about it, Uh, our battle is really with the forces of evil that are controlling these people, behind these people, uh, but the devil definitely uses them, and so they're in the mix for sure, but our real struggle is with these uh, forces of darkness that are behind them. Uh, That we may be delivered, uh, for not all have faith, Uh, the faith, a definite article here, These people are hostile to God. They don't have the faith. They they have no regard for the Lord. You know, the word of the Lord means nothing to them. There's no authority uh, with the word for them uh, whatsoever. A few uh, slides here. The wicked uh, do not hold to the common Christian faith. That's the problem. You know, if they had the faith, they would have a different attitude. They would have a whole different perspective, as we've already talked about in Repentance. Uh, the Bible says there is one Lord and one faith, according to Paul, in Ephesians 4 or 5, meaning there is one true saving faith. That is the faith in view here. Paul is saying that these people lack the true saving faith that is shared by all true born-again believers. That's their ultimate problem. Implied is that these wicked people had heard the gospel, but then violently rejected it along with those proclaiming it. So that seems to be uh, the sense of it. 2 Timothy uh, 3.11, uh, God is in the delivering business. You know, this was Paul's testimony. Uh, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, everywhere he's going. Uh, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Ah, this is his testimony. Got in trouble here, the Lord delivered me. Got in trouble here, the Lord delivered me. Got in trouble here, the Lord. It's just one ongoing pattern. When's this going to stop? Oh, when you get the glory. That's when... Uh, God delivers us in salvation from the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord for that deliverance. Paul knew deliverance from persecution over and over. God is in the delivering business. Uh, It is one key reason we pray. We pray for deliverance and then God is glorified in answering our prayers. I mean, he shows up in in that situation as we pray. Uh, It's not like we don't have any troubles. We do, but he delivers. Often God allows his people to be in trouble, but then as we pray, he delivers us. Isn't that interesting how God says, I'm going to reveal myself through this situation. I'm going to allow you to get in trouble, but then you're going to pray, and then I'm going to deliver you. Uh, Life is one long pattern of facing trouble. Uh, Should we stop here? Let's let's go to the next slide. I don't like this idea. No, no, just kidding. It's true, uh, and being delivered, though. It's one long pattern of facing trouble and being delivered. We face crisis after crisis, and time and time again, God delivers us. In this, God is glorified. He is glorified in the business of deliverance. The single greatest way God brings glory to himself is through our salvation. And the reality of so great salvation is seen in the microcosm of a thousand different ways in our ongoing experience. I like this uh, verse here, these verses in Second Corinthians, where it makes that emphasis, where Paul says, Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, and we should not trust in ourselves, <clears throat> but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. I'm kind of picking up on a theme here. you? I mean, there's a delivering theme going on here. You also helping together in prayer. How does God do it? He works through prayer in this whole process. The thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through through many. So this is how God works. We get in trouble, people pray, he delivers us, and then he is glorified through that. So, um, one more slide here. Here's what Paul's requests are in terms of prayer. That the word may run swiftly. That the word of the Lord may be glorified. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. So that really summarizes his prayer requests for them. All right, any other thoughts? Yes, M- Meryl. Yeah. So by having issues in our life, we become disciplined and we pray. It's like a rocking chair. Yeah. Back We need that. those trials to keep us in God's word Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. Well said. Uh, I know some of the darkest times and the greatest struggles in my life have, have made me get closer to the Lord than I've ever been and rely on Him in a way I never had before. And so, yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, and it's somehow, I think, in our humanness, we, we do need that, just like you're saying it's necessary. I mean, I, I wish I'd just kind of get that lesson, and just stay right close all the time, but, you know, it's kind of got to be brought back to there oh, yeah, Uh, I'm kind of needing to get close to God here and bring this to Him and and rely on Him. We're all human here. Anyone else? Yeah, Caleb? brother that's a great point in fact uh you know we just looked at 2 timothy 3 11 what's 2 timothy 3 12 say well all who will live godly in christ jesus shall suffer persecution so i like paul's like just what you're saying you know if you're really going to live the life uh expect it yeah i mean the devil's not going to give you a pass and say well don't bother with that person i'm going to give him a pass he's a pretty nice guy <laughs> it's not going to happen yeah, and, well, amen. That's right. Very good. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verse 3. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 3? Yes, Janet. We need some encouragement about now. And uh, so he brings it. And he says, But the Lord is faithful. He pivots to encouraging and reassuring them. Yes, we're in a battle. We got these unreasonable and wicked people the devil's using, but uh, encouragement. Uh, The Lord is faithful. You know what that means? He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's there. You can depend on him. Uh, He's unfailing. Uh, And what's he going to do? Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Uh, Now, he has just prayed for this back in uh, verses 16 and 17 that I read at the beginning here. Uh, He's praying that uh, the Lord would, verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now he's saying the Lord is faithful, who will establish you. Uh, So he's confident that God's going to do this, that God's going to ground them and stabilize them. And, uh, you know, we are all in process. Uh, we we uh, grow in grace. And the Lord is at work to stabilize us and to establish us. So, a question. Uh, so what if people don't grow like they should? Is God not faithful in such a case? Well, God is always faithful on his part. But people need to be responsive to his nurturing work in their lives. Paul is saying that God can be counted on to stabilize them. But he turns right around in the next verse and speaks of what is commanded of them. Here again, we have the intersection of divine activity and human responsibility. God is always faithful in seeking to establish us, but we have to respond properly to the truth. I mean, what if we're disobedient children? And uh, we're not, we're, well, I mean, that's not going to help us out a lot in terms of the stabilizing process. But God's able to work even through that and discipline us and so forth. But uh, I think he is faithfully working uh, to establish us and uh, and guard you he says from the evil one Uh, the idea here is uh, to uh, protect us protect us it's really a military term to guard like a a military uh, protection that idea and uh, God does set boundaries to guard us you know I think about Job Uh, Satan could only go so far with Job Uh, he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able and, and so forth Uh, God does guard us. As long as we keep on the full armor of God that he has provided, we will be able to stand according to Ephesians 6. It's only when we wander away from God and his truth, his protection, that we are vulnerable to the wiles of the devil. Uh, I mean, that's what he says. Keep on the full armor. Uh, This is where you're safe. You start taking off the armor, uh, yeah, the devil's going to be able to get at you. And so, um, as a believer, you can always count on the Lord to be there pro- uh, providing protection for you from the onslaughts of Satan. He's always faithful. Uh, you, you can count on that. It's not like uh, he's just leaving you out there on your own vulnerable. Uh, he's not. He's, he's faithful. We just need to avail ourselves of what he has provided. So, as believers, if we are negligent, uh, we are vulnerable to Satan in our walk. But never our position. First uh, John 5, the wicked one does not touch him, who is born of God. In terms of our position in Christ, Satan cannot lay hold on us and drag us back to his kingdom. He cannot reclaim us. We now belong to Jesus, and he is our keeper. And that's a safe place. That's a place of assurance. In terms of our practice, Christ is always there for us if we but look to him. So we do need to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Our position is always secure. I mean, the devil's never going to be able to reclaim us. But he can certainly wreak havoc in our spiritual lives. And uh, so we want to uh, be responsible in that regard. Okay, any other thoughts before we move on? Yeah. Well it's interesting uh you know Paul at the end of his life is in prison there and he says the Lord will preserve me to his you know his heavenly uh, kingdom and so uh I spiritually certainly we're going to be preserved for sure but you're talking physically right because he's asking for deliverance from Yeah, well, I don't think we could go so far as to say, you know, you're never going to suffer persecution, right? Because <laughs> we, we know all the other verses that say that. have right, two
1: promises. Yeah. We
0: have two promises. Mm-hmm. I think all three Right. And work together? And yeah, uh, I would not say, I, I don't think there's any guarantee that we won't have uh, persecution of, of whatever sort. Uh, I think the concern that Paul starts with is that the word of the Lord may run freely. And so I think the ultimate issue for us is spiritual, that we be used of the Lord, we be fruitful, we carry out the purpose that he has for us, whatever that is. And so uh, the real concern is our spiritual lives and being fruitful for the Lord. Uh, What that may entail, you know, who knows what, as far as physical affliction, Uh, but I think when he's praying for deliverance from these unreasonable and wicked men, his major concern is in relationship to the gospel getting out, uh, the word of the Lord going forth. And, uh, you know, even prison couldn't stop Paul in that regard as far as what God's plan was for him. So, uh, yeah, I think there is the physical end of it, but I really think Paul is thinking mainly spiritual, even even in this context here. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying, but it doesn't necessarily make sense for us. I'm trying to think through, you know, because he's talking about that the delivered from the unreasonable men and from the wicked men, and what you're saying. So it seems to be more than just a spiritual... Uh, it seems to be, perhaps, an attack on all. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I'm not, you know I think that all promises are true. I'm just trying to see how they... Yeah, again, Vince, I would take it back to verse 1. Uh, you know, he says, uh, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. That's not the end of the sentence. And then he goes on to say that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men uh, in the sense of them stopping our ministry. Uh, that's how I would see this. Uh, that's the main thing I would see. Uh, in terms of does this mean that they're not going to be able to afflict uh, physically on us? I, I don't see that as a promise. To look at Paul's own testimony. All kinds of things. But then the Lord delivered him. And the Lord delivered him again and again and again. And the word of the Lord went forth. So, and in the end, I mean, the guy had his head cut off. So, you know, he said, well, was the Lord faithful? Well, yeah, he was. Uh, he, he accomplished his purpose. So I think, again, the main thing that he's asking prayer for is that the word of the Lord would continue to go swiftly. That they wouldn't be stopped in terms of their ministry. But it's a good, it's a good uh, question. I mean, uh, the Lord does deliver us physically as well, and Paul knew a lot of physical deliverance along the way too in terms of the whole process, and God used that as well. So, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on. Uh, let's have somebody read uh, verses 4 and 5. Who wants to read that for us? Verses 4 and 5? Okay, thank you. So, uh, he says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Uh, you know, because of God's activity and God's faithfulness, he, he has confidence in the Lord concerning them. And uh, this is kind of almost like uh, Philippians 1.6, uh, where it says, uh, where Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, I kind of see that same... Uh, Emphasis here, we, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Uh, he's, he's confident that God is going to be at work in their lives, both to uh, continue to do what, what uh, is commanded of them. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.4 ties back to 2.15, uh, where they are exhorted to hold fast to the apostolic teachings, but it also looks ahead to Paul's command regarding discipline of the disorderly at the end of the chapter. Their response to the Lord in their walk to this point gives Paul confidence that they will continue to be obedient to his commands. But above that, I think he is, uh, his confidence is really in the Lord, in terms of the Lord's uh, continuing to work in their lives. To this end, that you both do and uh, will do the things that we command you. Uh, not suggestions, but uh, apostolic commands, which were really uh, from the Lord, the, the word of the Lord, being dispensed through uh, the Apostle Paul. Again, not a suggestion. Uh, These are commands, uh, that you will do the things we command you. Uh, I like how uh, Paul has this interesting combination of complimenting them, in a sense, uh, encouraging them, and yet yet exhorting them at the same time, kind of in a winsome way admonishing them. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Yeah, we we believe this is going to happen in your lives, and yet uh, it's a command. So there's an interesting balance there. And then he says, verse 5, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Isn't that interesting? He says, we have confidence that you're going to do these things. And yet he's praying uh, for the love of God in their lives and for the patience of Christ in their lives. Uh, again, he's talking about uh, the, may the Lord direct your hearts. Interesting. Uh, kind of uncharacteristic of Paul to address prayer directly to the Lord. Usually he's directing prayer to God the Father. And again, we pray through through Jesus in that sense. But here uh, the prayer is in reference directly to the Lord. There's no jealousy amongst the Godhead, by the way. say, well, you know what? I accidentally prayed to Jesus. Is that a problem? (laughs) No, I don't think so. But you know, usually we don't direct our prayers to the Holy Spirit, right? Right? no, no, and I don't think there's any problem between them, right? Like I say, I don't think there's any jealousy there. But there is kind of an emphasis in Scripture, right? <clears throat> we pray in Jesus' name. We pray to God the Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus says. Uh, again, we don't really see prayers to the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. Well, why not? Well, God's got his order the way he works here. Uh, It wasn't the father who died on the cross, wasn't the spirit either, right? It was the son. Uh, They have different roles, but there is equality in the Godhead. But here we see uh, the prayer directed to the Lord. Now may the Lord direct your hearts. So he's asking God to work in their hearts, right? And and, uh, only God can really do that work in the heart, right? As far as, you know, uh, shaping our hearts, molding us, changing us uh, in terms of our heart, that heart work. And so he's praying for the Lord to uh, work in their hearts and really, I think, in this sense, remove any hindrance uh, to where God's work in them would be uh, accomplished. Direct your hearts into the love of God. Now, there's a little discussion here. What does this mean, uh, direct your hearts into the love of God? Is this the idea of appreciating God's love? Or is this uh, in the sense of actively loving God? Well, that's what the commentators tend to think. You know, I think there's kind of a a two-pronged emphasis. It's kind of maybe a reciprocal uh, emphasis here. Both may be true. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you think about uh, God, uh, the Lord directing our hearts into the love of God, I certainly think about, you know, what is the great command? Yeah, I love God with everything. I mean, that's really at the top. And and how does this show in our lives? Well, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You know how you show your love for God? It's, it's an active thing. It's an obedient thing. I don't think uh, you say, well, I just got this emotional love for God and being disobedient like crazy, but I love God. No, no, you don't. Uh, your love for God is seen in your obedience uh, that's a tremendous emphasis in the Scriptures. And then he says, and into the patience of Christ. This one, too, is kind of debated as far as what's the prong here. There's kind of a dual prong here as well. Uh, is it talking about um, that they? he's praying that they would uh, be patient as they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come, that they would be stable and and not, not all over the place, you know, tossed to and fro, that they would be, uh, you know be consistency in, in, in their patience in waiting for Christ as they're waiting for Him to come. Or is it talking uh, about the fact that in their persecution, they would be Christ-like? Christ-like in their perseverance. Uh, you know, the context might suggest that, and there's a tremendous emphasis on this uh, in the Scriptures. For example, in Hebrews 12, uh, Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in, in your souls. So the writer is really holding Christ up as the ultimate example of, of endurance. Uh, patiently enduring uh, after the example of Christ. And really, uh, Peter says this too. Peter writes of the suffering saints. What credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I don't know about you, but I'm working on that one. I mean, one thing when you, you know. But when you do good? Okay, I'm really taking it on the chin for doing good here. Uh, If you take it patiently, this is commendable. In fact, to this you were called. This is your calling, to take it on the chin for doing good. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So I think in a sense the context would probably lead me to more lean this way uh, that God would uh, the Lord would lead you into the patience of Christ uh, to endure like Christ did uh, to have that patience of Christ in in your ongoing experience one more slide to finish us out here tonight God works through prayer Paul needed prayer the Thessalonians needed prayer all believers need prayer if you don't need prayer please put your hand up we will not pray for you. Anyway, yes, we will, because we, that's a definite sign you need prayer. Uh, God's provisions are in the place uh, concerning our walk, but often we enter into the good of them through prayer. Uh, everything in the Christian life needs to be bathed in prayer. And we see this in the intercourse of Paul's writings. Even in this short epistle, there are four such prayers. I mean, it's a short little letter. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5 and verse 16. So We've got four, four prayers in this short little epistle. Everything is bathed in prayer. We need prayer. If we're going to go forward for the Lord, it's going to be uh, in connection with prayer. God delivers us so we can be uh, fruitful, we can be effective for Him, that the Word of God can c- continue to go forth uh, and have free course uh, in response to our prayers. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yes, Jeremy. Uh, Something that is interesting is to note how Paul leads and encourages. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Amen. Very good. As so true, and you see that so consistently with Paul. I mean that, and a lot of times when he's got something really strong to say, he'll start out with brethren. <laughs> there's there's a brotherly touch to it. It's not it's not overly harsh. I see Paul as a guy always trying to bring people along. I try to bring him with instead so of just alienating him. So he, he has a winsome way about him, sh- sharing the truth in love very, very consistently. All right, yes? What is interesting about prayer is, you know, we had this incident with this young man falling out on the football field. Oh, yeah. we about prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we have all these other things going on. Do you hear anything mentioning of you know, praying about these situations? Yeah, no. No. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you. Oh, yeah. You know, Greg, I've been in hospital rooms where these unbelievers prayed some of the most fervent prayers I've ever heard in my life. And as soon as the crisis is over, I mean, it's out the window. Yeah. Uh, it, it is amazing. People play these big time games with God. Really. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you. And it's great to to pray publicly. Uh, you know, we see lots of public praying together as God's people. But I'll tell you, if there's nothing happening in private, you got to maybe wonder about the the, the, the public. <laughs> yeah, lots of people put on these shows as if God's impressed or something, you know. But anyway, yeah. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's share some prayer requests. How about that? After a.